Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today we bring you a special two-part series entitled, 25 Years Later, The Church Address. In this series, we celebrate the 25-year pastoral anniversary of our lead pastor, Rex Johnson, here at Christian Life Austin. And now, lead pastor Rex Johnson. I talked about I talked about uh, two things that I believe that this church has possessed in the last 25 years. That is an is an incredible thing. And, and what I preached about and talked about Wednesday night was the attitude of praise. I talked about praise. Praise is calmly the Bible says for upright people. It really, really is. And so we talked about praise last Wednesday night. And the Bible said God inhabits that. He inhabits that. So. If you want to know where God dwells, he dwells in praise. He really does. And now today we're going to talk about 25 years later, the church address part two. We're going to talk about it and we're going to speak about another subject that God is very close to his heart also. And I want to speak to you today from my heart. Would you turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor today. Say, pastor, preach to us. Let the word touch my heart. Let it change my heart. Preach to us today. Let the word touch my mind. Let it change my mind. Preach to us today. Let me leave here a better person than what I was when I came in. God bless you. You may be seated. You're awesome people. So Wednesday night we talked about praise. The book says God inhabits. He inhabits. He resides at the corner of Thanksgiving Avenue and Praise Row. Today I will speak on another subject that's very dear to God's heart, forgiveness. I will talk about forgiveness. I truly believe that a person is closest to being like the Lord when they possess the spirit of forgiveness. Praise is what I call God's residence. Forgiveness is God's likeness. Alexander Pope said, to err is human, to forgive is divine. There's a powerful word in Lamentations chapter 3 that says, I remember mine afflictions and my misery and the wormwood and the gall and my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. Verse 22 said, it's the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Can you say amen to that? Everybody say, he has mercy on us because his compassion fails not. They are new every morning. What's new? His mercies, his compassions. Great is thy faithfulness. So Jeremiah said, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, will I hope in him. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and 22, Peter said, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times? Shall I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, Simon, but 70 times, seven times. In his book, Dateline America, Charles Carroll tells of a sign he saw in a store in the door of a cafe in Indiana. It said, opened, opened 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Then there was a period and it said close Thursday. 
You'll get that after a while. Go get some coffee and you'll catch that. Sometimes restaurants can give out mixed signals. Sometimes hospitals can give out mixed signals. Sometimes businesses can put out mixed signals. The church has been known to send out some mixed signals also. I heard about a man that went to see a doctor because he was feeling absolutely terrible and the doctor gave him a careful examination, left the room to go look at some tests, came back with a somber expression on his face and said, Sir, I don't know how to break the news to you, but you have rabies and only have a week to live. The man very calmly got out a piece of paper and began furiously writing. The doctor said, what are you doing, making out your will? He said, oh, no, I'm writing out a list of people I'm fixing to go bite. (laughs) That's what you call a mixed signal. Perhaps you're sitting here today thinking, so I do have someone I'm angry with, Pastor. I do have someone I have a grudge against. So there is someone that has done me wrong and I have never forgot, forgiven them. What business is it of yours? Well, I'll let the great Dwight L. Moody answer that question. He said, the one sin that's keeping revival from coming to the church and more lost souls from being saved and more of the blessings of God from coming upon his people is the sin of an unforgiving spirit. Dr. Michael Brickley, a psychologist who studies successful aging in our culture, claims the most centenarians, people who make it to 100 years or older, anybody 100 or older in the building here today? We've got some approaching it, I promise you. Have learned to get rid of, listen to this, emotional baggage from the past. Old hurts, past failures, unfinished business, unresolved relationships, regret. Centenarians learn how to process these issues in a healthy manner and they learn how to let them go. Some of you need to start singing the song from Frozen, Let It Go. Let It Go. Jesus said, I say to you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Which means... Real forgiveness is beyond your calculator. It's beyond calculation. There's no limits to it, which means it's not a specific solution to a particular problem in your life, but it is, are you hearing me, a way of life. If God's mercies are new every morning and we're like Him and we're created by Him and we have His Spirit, and we have his knowledge, and we have his word in our life, why can't we get up every morning with our mercies new every morning and give people another chance to express himself in God? Just preaching, just preaching. Powerful story in Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to read it to you. It's going to be on the screen. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who went to settle accounts with his servants, and as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000. Everybody say 10,000. Bags of gold, 10,000, was brought to him. Everybody say 10,000. That's a lot of gold, folks. 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. They were going to put him on an auction block. And at this, the servant fell to his knees before him and said, Be patient with me, sir, please. 
and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Isn't that great? It's how God works, isn't it? But when the servant went out that was forgiven, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him, everybody say, a hundred silver coins. Everybody say, a hundred silver dollars. Say, a hundred silver dollars. Not 10,000 bags, but a hundred. And he grabbed him, began to choke him. He said, pay back what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me. Said the same thing to him that he had said to his master, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they went and told on him. Hallelujah. That's what happens in church. They'll tell on you. And went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in and said, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. The Bible says in the King James, he was turned over to the tormentors until he could pay back all of the old. And this is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister in your heart. Can I tell you, it's too expensive to live with grief and regret in our hearts. It's time to open up our spirits and say, I forgive you. I wash you. I clean you up in my mind and in my heart. Come on, clap your hands and rejoice with that today. Forgiveness is so crucial to human life. It's most needed subject in Christianity and it's the least favorite to preach or to hear, but I'm going to preach about it because I've discovered that Christians aren't perfect, but thank God we are forgiven. Clap your hands because you're forgiven today. Amen. So there's three things today I'm going to preach about, then I'm going to preach some more. Three things. I want to put them on the screen and hold them on the screen while I preach on all three of them. First thing, I must forgive God. Everybody say, I've got to forgive God. Second thing, I must forgive others. And the third thing, I must forgive myself. Wow. Everybody say, I've got to forgive God. God? Really? Yeah. I must forgive others. Say it. I've got to forgive others. And I've got to forgive myself. First of all, leave them up there. First of all, in order to forgive the Lord, I must forgive God. Everybody say, I've got to forgive God. In order to forgive God, you've got to stop blaming him for your problems. I have run into so many people in my pastorate that get balled up in a corner and get in a pity party and say, God likes everybody but me. No, you got that wrong. Somebody's been talking to you that's talked the wrong language and got you believing the wrong thing. Everybody say, God loves me. God loves me. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Say, God loves me. You're not the exception in this world. God loves everybody. But here's the problem. You make choices, and because of those choices, you get in a ditch. And God can't sometimes get you out of that ditch because he can't stop you from making the dumb choices that you make in life. But when you get ready to come out of that ditch, all you got to do is say, God, I need some help. And God will reach down in that ditch and pull you out of it because God is your friend. (laughs) 
Churchill said the price of responsibility, the price of greatness is responsibility. Say responsibility. God loves you. He's my best friend. Say God's my best friend. No one loves you like the Lord. Nobody. He said greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Nobody loves you like the Lord loves you. Nobody loves you like the Lord loves you. Come on, folks, help me preach right now. Nobody loves you like the Lord loves you. Quit balling up your fist and shaking it at the heavens and say, I, I, I don't like what you've given me as my portion, God. Let me tell you something. You've given me a bad hand. No, no, no. Sometimes bad choices give you a bad hand. Everybody say, I'm going to forgive you, Lord. I'm not going to walk. I'm not going to walk. I'm not going to walk. Say it. I'm not going to walk in holding grudges against my God. It's not his will. You hear me? It's not his will that any should perish. But all should come to repentance. Everybody say, God's not my enemy. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. Hallelujah. I think everybody in this house ought to give the Lord Jesus Christ a great hand right now and understand that there's nobody loves you like Jesus does. Nobody loves you like Jesus does. Nobody, 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 nobody. Well, I feel like preaching today. Secondly, I must forgive others. Leave it up. I got to forgive. Everybody say forgive others. Boy, this is the tough one. This is the fulcrum of the whole thing. This is the one that keeps the, the seesaw going right. I must forgive others. Say, I've got to forgive others. Matthew 6 and 9 said, After this manner, therefore you've got to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Watch this, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And watch verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, as I forgive, you forgive me. I cannot expect your forgiveness if I don't, if I don't forgive others. The golden rule says do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It starts with me. It starts right here. And for the last 25 years, this pastor has looked at a church every Sunday morning and I promise you have never held a grudge against anybody in this pulpit because I've got to be the starter of forgiveness every Sunday. I've got to walk to this pulpit and say, I forgive you today. And you need to understand that you walk out of this church forgiven. That's why people keep coming back to CLC because they realize I don't put you in the bottom. I put you on the top because God loves his creation and he wants you to have victory in your life and victory in your heart and victory in your todays and your tomorrows. Say amen. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Everybody say amen. amen. Verse 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Peter Miller, during the Revolutionary War, was a very beloved pastor in his town. One person, however, hated that pastor. He hated him. He abused him in every way he could. He made fun of him. He spit on him when he was in downtown. But when Peter Miller discovered that this man was a traitor to his own country and was tried and convicted for treason, 
and he was to be executed. The pastor, Peter Miller, went to the trial in Philadelphia and he took off from Ephrata by foot. It was a 60-mile journey. He was on his way to see the general, George Washington. And he walked 60 miles to plead for a pardon for this man who hated him. And when he got there, General Washington, when he said, Sir, I'd like to ask for a pardon for, for, for this man that is going to be executed today for treason. And General Washington said, I cannot do this for your friend. And Peter Miller said, My friend, sir, this man was my worst enemy I have in this world. And George Washington, understand it, said, That being the case, that changes everything. I'll give him a pardon. And Peter Miller was given a pardon in his hand and he had walked 60 miles to see that pardon granted. But he wasn't finished because the execution was taking place 15 miles away and he had to walk another 15 miles. And when he walked to the place of the execution, he got there just in time as they were arriving at the gallows to hang this man for treason. And the man looked at the pastor and said, here comes Peter Miller, my enemy. He's come all the way from Ephrata to be able to have the last laugh as I am being executed. And Peter Miller walked up and hugged this man and put a pardon in his chest and said, you cannot hang him. This is what this church has been preaching for 25 years. The only hope that you have is somebody preaching a gospel to you that says you've been forgiven, you've been pardoned by the blood of Jesus Christ. Somebody ought to get excited for that today. <laughs> Peter Miller knew something about God's forgiveness. And the third thing, let me preach now, is I must forgive myself. Everybody say, I've got to forgive myself. That's tough. Because people think when they have goofed, it is over. It's not over. Till God says it's over. You need to take dominion over your thoughts today. You need to walk out of your self-made prisons today. You need to not hold your own self hostage today. See, but there's a vast difference in loving oneself and being self-centered. The Lord said, when they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second is like to the first, that you love your neighbor as yourself. The reason some people cannot love their neighbor is because they do not love themselves. I'm not talking about narcissism. I'm not talking about a young man that looked into a pool one day and saw his reflection and fell in love with himself so much that he finally fell in the pool and drowned. I'm not talking about self-centeredness. I'm not talking about putting God off the throne. I'm talking about keeping, oh, hallelujah, God on the throne. I'm talking about the Lord still being your number one, but understanding when you walk into his presence, you are washed and you are clean and you are holy and you are right in his presence and he knows you make mistakes and he knows you fall down, but you get back up, you get back up and you keep going because that's the plan that God has for everybody. 
That's why the prophet said, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. For when I fall, I know I'm going to fall. I'm going to get up. And though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. Can I preach to somebody here today? The Lord will be. Everybody say, I've got to forgive myself. You got to get up. You got to get up in whatever state you find yourself in and come home to the Father. 1 John 3, 19 and 20 says, Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence toward God. He said, here's what I want. If your heart condemns you, I'm greater than your heart. But if your heart condemns you not, you have confidence in Almighty God. You know what he's saying? When you make a mistake, repent. Put it under the blood. Get yourself up. Say bye to those hogs. And get back home to the Father. Because that's what it's all about. Amen? Clap your hands real big all over this house. Clap your hands real big all over this house. In fact, I'll skip the next scripture, but in fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, it's a small thing to be judged by you or of man's judgment. I judge not my own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet I am not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. I want some of you to wash your eyes a little bit. Come on, do this. Do this. Come on. Come on, help me. I'm not looking at you. Come on, do it. Now open your eyes again. Does it look better? I'm tired of you seeing men as trees walking. I want you to see men as men and women as women. I want you to see this church as God-forgiven creatures. Amen? Everybody say, we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. If you've gone in that water of baptism, you've been raised in the newness of life. If you've confessed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you've repented of your sins. Amen? Receive the baptism of the Spirit. There's nothing greater in all the world that God can do for you in this life. Come on, everybody say, I'm going to forgive myself. I'm going to forgive others. I'm not going to hold grudges against my God. Clap your hands one more time before I preach a little more. But the question is, Pastor, I know I must forgive. But how do I forgive God? How do I forgive others? How do I forgive myself? That's a great question. I'm going to let the word answer it. Back to the text, Lamentations, he said, the Lord's mercies are why we're not consumed. They are new every morning. Let's talk about that. God does not have any used mercy. Mm. He don't trade in old mercy. He don't buy old mercy back. He just lets that old mercy go and he gives you some brand new every morning. See, we call him the creator. He creates new mercy every day. You say, can he, can he do that? Well, what are you standing on? He said, let there be, and there was. He made this that you're standing on in one day. 
Now, it was void and it was full of darkness. Then he said, let there be light. And light came. And it took six creative days to get us here. But he made this earth and all therein for man. He didn't make man for earth. He made earth for man. Amen. And I'm here to tell you, if he can create this, this ball of terra firma, if he can put this whole world together in one day, don't you think he can make up a new batch of mercy every morning? Come on. Every morning. Come on, every morning. Don't you feel mercy here in your heart today? Every morning. Come on. Every morning. He's stirring up some more. Come on, every morning. Hey, Gabe. Hey, Michael. Come on over here. We got to get some more mercy. That's some old boy that messed up last night, but we're going to fix him up today. He's in church. There's nothing like the mercy of God. There's nothing like the mercy of God. It's new every morning. You're going to preach me out. I won't have anything left for second service today. There's three instances in the Word of God. Let me, let me finish. Let me, put a, let me put a wrap on this. Three instances in the Word of God. The Ark of the Covenant. Everybody say the Ark of the Covenant. Now, for you that don't understand Old Testament and have not understood the Ark of the, Ark of the Covenant was a box that was made by the Israelites under Moses direct from God. It was a house for God's glory. It was a small box. It was made of shittim wood. It was overlaid with gold. It had stave holes through it, and they ran staves through it, and men carried that glory on their shoulders. They tried to haul it on a cart one day, and that cart hit a depression in the road, and a man reached out to steady that ark, and God struck him dead because you don't mess with God's glory. You honor God's glory. But they... The, the, the Ark of the Covenant represented, everybody say, the glory of God. And when Israel went into war, they took that Ark with them, and the enemy shivered and shook and quaked over the presence of God. They wasn't fighting just a normal army. They were fighting an army that had the presence of God with them. Isn't it great to know that we're not battling this world by ourselves? We have a presence with us. In fact, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost now. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost now. God abides in us. We are the ark of Almighty God now. And that was the glory of God. And there was three things in that ark that came at different times. First was the tablet of stone. This was there. Then there was a rod of Aaron. And then there was a pot of manna. Let me preach about them now just real quickly. The tablet of stone, the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. When he gave to him on top of Mount Sinai, he came off of that mountain and when he came off the mountain with the plan of God, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Principles for people to live by, he walked into a dance hall. They had erected a golden calf out of earrings and bracelets and they had melted them down and made this huge golden calf. God never minded for that to be on people, but when they melted it down and made them a big old idol, then God said, I've had enough of that. Because you shall not have any idols. There's no idols that you're going to worship. I am God and you worship me only. Amen. And it's still that way. And they were dancing around this golden calf. And when Moses saw it, he was angry. And he threw down the tablets and he broke them. And God got angry at the people. And him and Moses had quite a dialogue. And I won't go into it, but it was quite a dialogue. And he said, Moses, if you want to go back up and write them again, this time it's going to be your finger and not mine. I, they destroyed mine. But he said, when you get through with what I have told you, put those Ten Commandments in the ark. It was put in the ark because God was angry at the people. So he said, put it in the ark as a testimony. 
Everybody say the word word. went in the ark as a testimony, Exodus 25. Second, the rod of Aaron. There was infighting in the children of Israel. They were fighting over who would be and who would be the leader of the people of God. There was a there was an, a, an insurgent. There was a there was a a, a a rising up of of a man named Korah and his group that wanted to take over leadership in the wilderness. And they brought their censers, and the Israelites, the men of God, lit their censers, and they they held censers against one another. And God told the people of righteousness to back away. And when they did, God opened the ground, and Korah and all of his people were swallowed in the ground. And then there was a man named Aaron because the plague of death was falling all over. Over 14,000 people were killed that day. And God said, Aaron, I want you to run out in the middle of the congregation and, and stop the plague. And Aaron ran out with his staff in his hand and a censer in his hand. And the plague was stayed and God stopped the death nail. Then he said, I want you to put these these walking sticks, he asked for 12 walking sticks, one from every tribe to be placed in front of and spend the night with the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. And he said, the one that blooms and the one that blossoms and the one that brings forth almonds will be the leader and the righteousness of the Israelites. And the next morning it was Aaron's rod that had budded and brought forth blooms and and full-grown almonds and they were ready to eat the next morning from a walking stick. Ten-month gestation for an almond tree, and yet the next morning, the almonds were blossoming on Aaron's walking stick. And God said, put it in the ark as a testimony. Because once again, God was angry with his people. And he wanted to annihilate them. But that walking stick became a testimony. And then finally, the third was the pot of manna. Israel was murmuring. God hates murmuring. You know what murmuring is? You really can't understand it. You just know they're upset. Have you had some of that in 25 years? Oh, yeah, we've had some of that around here. But I just give them mercy. They're not going to change my attitude. I'm just going to give them mercy. Because God's been too good to us. Amen. Come on, clap your hands. God's been too good to us. Just give them mercy. Give them grace. I don't like the way this is happening. God's got us out here in the wilderness and we got away from the leeks and the garlic and the onions. We love that Egyptian food. Woo, is good. And we're out here and we're just going day by day. Oh, we got quail yesterday and we got a, yeah, yeah, but the next morning, they picked up the quail and they saw a frost on the ground. And God had covered that ground with coriander seed looking about this big. It was all white and it was manna. And manna means simply, what is it? They said, what is this? What is this manna? What is this stuff? And they called it manna because they didn't know what it was. But what it was was God was going to feed them. God was going to take care of them. God was going to honor them. And yet God was aggravated beyond words with them. And he said, listen, if you don't get it before noon, when the sun waxes hot, it's going to melt. So you better get up off your lazy backsides and get out here and collect it. And God was a little angry. And he said, I want you to take an omer of that, Aaron, and put it in the ark. So that's how the tables got in the ark. That's how the rod of Aaron got in the ark. That's how the pot of manna got in the ark. God was aggravated. I'm fixing to preach now. But he said, Aaron, put a lid over that ark and call it a mercy seat. Yes. 
and put, come here, Brother Mitch, and put two beaten cherubims over that ark. Get on that side, Brother Mitch. And let their wings touch one another. They're made out of beaten gold. See, Mitch ain't beat out of the same material I'm beat out of. Mitch has had his wearing outs, and I've had my wearing outs, but they're beaten gold. And he said, I want you to let them look on the glory, look on the mercy seat, and not at one another. Not at one another. Not at one another. Look on the mercy seat. I want them to view mercy because I'm going to deal with Israel. Are you ready? I don't care how aggravated I got. I'm going to deal with Israel through mercy. I'm not going to remember. I'm not going to remember the word that's in there and the pot of manna and Aaron's rod and how aggravated I got with those people. I'm going to deal with them from mercy and I'm going to preach to them between the cherubims. Hallelujah. Are you with me? God is saying the only way I can handle God's people, the only way I can take my people to promise is to handle them through the eyes of mercy. Hear me. Hear this, Pastor. Hear me real good. Hear me real good. I'm closing. Hear me real good. Hear me real good. Every Sunday, I may preach with passion and desire and drive and hopefully anointed. Every Sunday. But I never preach out of anger. I never preach out of bitterness in my heart. Because God told me a long time ago, the only way to deal with my people is to preach to them through the eyes of mercy. The only way to deal with your brother is to see him through the eyes of mercy. Look around. Everybody look around and say, guess what? You make mistakes. Go ahead and accuse them. Go ahead and accuse your brother. Go ahead. Go ahead and accuse him. You make mistakes. Now wipe your eyes real good and look at him again and say, but I see you as God sees you. Come on. I see you as God sees you. Come on. I see you as God sees you. I see you through the mercy of God. And the only way we can stay together as a body of Christ is that we see each other as the Lord sees us. We've got to understand that people are going to stumble. They're going to fall, but they're going to get back up and they're going to continue their race. If somebody has mercy on their heart and on their soul. You folks that were here when I became pastor, I'm closing, Randy, help me. You folks that were here when I became pastor, I told you we was going to praise God in this sanctuary. And I also told you we was going to forgive. We was going to wash people clean by our forgiveness. Am I pleased with everybody that I've ever pastored? No. You know, there's some people that have, and I'm going to, for all the people listening to the podcast, listen to me right now. I'm going to say it. Everybody that's ever left because your ambition was bigger than what we were and you outgrew the church or the church outgrew you, whatever. It doesn't matter. But whoever you are that left, I want you to know that anybody that ever left could come back to this church. And there would not be a six-month setting series of you sitting down and proving who you was would receive you when you walked in the door because because the only way a church can ever go anywhere is when a pastor and a congregation sees everybody through the eyes of mercy 
Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. Here's our new every morning. President Bill Clinton woke up his daughter Chelsea at 3 o'clock in the morning when Nelson Mandela was released from prison in South Africa. He wanted his daughter to watch the event because it was historic, 27 years. This is Black History Month, and so Nelson Mandela was another one of my heroes. And Bill Clinton said when he saw Mr. Mandela on TV being let out of prison, He said there was anger and there was hatred in his face. And he went to Mr. Mandela later and he said, what about that, Nelson? What about that? And Mandela said, I'm surprised that you saw that, President Clinton. I regret that the cameras caught my anger. But as I walked across the courtyard that day, I thought to myself, they've taken everything from you that matters, Nelson. Your cause is dead. Your family's gone. Your friends have been killed and now they're releasing you, but there's nothing left for you out there. And I hated them for what they had taken from me. Then I sensed, he said, an inner voice inside of me. And that voice said, Nelson, for 27 years you were their prisoner. But while you were their prisoner, you were always a free man. Don't allow them to make you a free man only to turn you into their prisoner. Wow. I forgive. Young boy ran away from home in Spain. Went to a far town. Ernest Hemingway tells a story about it. When the son and the father had a serious misunderstanding and the still boy ran away in his effort to find the boy, the father puts an ad in the Madrid, Spain newspaper and it contained these words, Dear Paco, meet me at the town square at noon on Sunday. All is forgiven, your father. And that Sunday, 800 males by the name of Paco showed up at town square. <laughs> they all came seeking forgiveness from their father. I know what it is to have parents run out of a church. I know what it is to have pastors ask my parents, they don't want them to come back any longer. And I may get on some of your spiritual hype here today. I may get on some of your, you know, but pastor, we've got to be judges, you know. We've got to be good judges. Yeah, we do. But you can't judge the heart of a man. My dad told me if there's 95% bad with a man, try to find the 5% good in him, son, and preach to him with mercy. Thank you, Dad. Thank you. Great advice. 
But I want everybody to know on this Sunday morning, everybody to know this on this Sunday morning, you may have fell into a pot of cauldron trouble this week. But that's what this church is for. It's a hospital. It's a place where we can try to help you and bandage you up and fix you up because that's what God does. We're not a judgment center. This is not a place where we judge you. It's a place where we receive people that are broken and hurting and hopeful that there's a place still left. I want everybody in Austin to hear this message today. I want everybody in Austin to hear this message. They can't hear it from me. They may hear it on podcast, but I want them to hear it from you. That there's a place where mercy is going to be shown in the presence of God. Amen. Stand to your feet and lift your hands all over the house right now. And bless the Lord with all your heart. Come on. Lift your hands all over the house. Lift your hands all over the house. Hallelujah. 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 That concludes today's podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.